Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to the show. The update with Phil Hay, straight from Thorpe Arch. We'll speak to Phil in a second. Just a quick reminder that the show is powered by West Yorkshire Electrical. WYElectrical.co.uk for details. You can find them on socials as well. Specialists in renewables, including your solar panel installation, battery storage that goes attached to it, EV vehicle charging, plus all the usual range of services as well. Fire alarm systems, security alarms, CCTV, LED, test and inspection work, school contracting, the whole shebang. If it's got wires in it, they will work with it. And finance available for work on both your home and your business. WYElectrical.co.uk for details or search West Yorkshire Electrical on socials. Phil, you have come from Thorpe Arch. It's nice to be here after the presser so that we kind of know what's going on, sort of. Yes, so uh, I've actually not really got all the details of this, so run me through what's happened. How was Farker, first of all? I was saying to you before we started recording, as consistent as his football team. Every now and again, press conferences obviously throw up something like the massive Joel Pirro answer. And if there are bits and pieces going on, like there were with Nonto and others um, in August, um, he's not shy when it comes to, to speaking his mind, Farker. But as a rule... He's not somebody who particularly courts a lot of controversy or creates a lot of controversy with, with what he says. And more to the point, he's the manager of a very steady and good football team at the moment who are pretty happy with where they are, are ticking along nicely, are obviously constrained by the fact that the division gets more and more ludicrous um, in terms of the, the points tallies at the top of it. And I think we should probably speak a little bit more about that. But yeah, happy camp by all accounts and um, not many injuries either. No, well, we are here to, to preview... Blackburn, we'll get onto the specifics of the fixture in, in due course. Uh, so just to say that he's mentioned that Sam, Cree and Joffe have knocks. So we're talking Byram, Somerville and obviously Gelhart. But, but did train today. Um, and expects was, them to be fit. Yes. Um, start of the week, I think there were slight issues there. Gelhart obviously had the, um, a hip um, problem lying on from the Middlesbrough game when he, he wasn't able to be involved, whether he would have made the 20 anyway is obviously debatable, but he, he wouldn't have been involved because of that. They should all be fine for Blackburn. Furpo's still missing. Stuart Dallas still missing. Luke Ayling has a knee problem, although as we've seen over the past few weeks, becoming harder and harder for Ayling to to make the bench, let alone the um, the, the team itself. And uh, Juan Paveda is off to North America, or sorry, South America, I should say, for games with Colombia. A little bit of Colombian action, yeah. Outside the FIFA windows that we discussed it on the weekly show. Yeah, this week. yeah, yeah. Um, they've kind of released him to let him go and get some international experience. What, what was he said? That, uh, what has he said about that? Then he was pretty mag- magnanimous about it. Was Farker, which I think, if we're being honest, is easy to do when it's a fringe player as opposed to somebody who is right in the centre of your plans. It's not that Paveda hasn't been involved this season, but he has been a substitute more often than not, and he hasn't played a, a great deal. I think if this was Piro going off for you know missing three games outside of the the usual international windows or Ruta or Rodon or somebody like that, then it wouldn't necessarily be the case that Leeds would be able to stop them and it might have to happen anyway, but it would be done with far less good grace, if that makes sense. Colombia seem to be testing the water with what they've got, looking at what is out there for them and trying to establish 
which players are good enough to play for them, which players they could pull into the picture longer term. Paveda is one that they're they're looking at. A couple of difficulties with Paveda. One is that given that it's his first call up, him saying no to this is would obviously not be a good start and would potentially kill his international career before it even gets started. And from what Farker was saying today, Paveda did genuinely want to go. You know, he wanted to take this year's um, family roots in Colombia. So it is as important that he was given the chance. Also, and this is, I think, relevant, he is out of contract um, with Leeds at the end of this season. And again, you could imagine that if there had been any issue over this or if there had been any disagreement, he might have said, I can't really hang my international career on a season where I might not play very much and where at the end of it, I may be moving on anyway. So I think this is probably sensible. I think with everybody fit, it might be that he's not missed a great deal anyway. He'll be back, he's due back on December the 18th, which means he he definitely misses the next three games. The, the bonus for Farker at the moment is that although there is the odd injury here, here and there, and it is basically a really good bill of health um, across the board, it's not affecting his lineup, um, you know, his preferred starting lineup. And I do think, I've said this a few times now, I do think we've pretty much settled on what is his best 11. A couple of positions you could debate about, um, could argue the toss over. But I think if you sat 100 people down and asked them to pick the 11 from back to front, it would be pretty much the same. It's always a sign of a club in pretty good health, isn't it, really, when when that's the case? you, Yeah, I mean, I look back to the time when we wore the uh, the rhubarb and custard kit before at Birmingham and we, we didn't really know which side we were going to see, who was going to walk out, who was going to be on strike. Now you can pretty much, barring injuries, say it's going to be him, 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 all the way through. And it's a sign of something that's settled and good and working. Yeah, players need to be interchangeable. And these days, managers talk far more about squads than they do 11s. If you said to Farker, is this your strongest 11? He would sidestep that question and he would talk far more about the importance of um, the group, as Gary Monk used to say, and the importance of having players who you trust and can rely on beyond the 11 that you ideally want to pick every week. But managers do tend to have favourites, and I don't mean favourites in a, an unfair sense, they tend to have players who who do the best job for them. And they do tend to like partnerships building up, whether it's two centre-backs or two midfielders or full-backs and, and wingers in front of them or, or players playing further forward in attack. Understanding does help. And, and I think a lot of these players have had a lot to learn about each other, particularly because there the were a lot of exits in the summer and, and a lot of additions. And I think... They've done that really well. I see a lot of fluency in the play. I see a lot of, I think, appreciation and understanding of Farkas' tactics, but also of what the players are all doing individually and, and collectively. It does seem to be to be working. And this at the moment is a unit that you don't want to to disrupt. You give Farka every single player, which he has, give or take at the moment, he wouldn't want to shuffle the team at all. And ideally, you don't want injuries doing that either. Uh, not only have we got a pretty good injury record, you know, touch wood today, disciplinary record was mentioned yeah. in this presser as well which is good and I've, it's something I've um, actively tried to take notice of because I was aware of the potential um, fifth yellow card problems that can rear their head around this time of the season and we've managed to dodge those haven't yeah. we by the looks of it and he spoke today about the, the reasons behind it no specific reason it's just something where he doesn't want unnecessary suspensions no he said that he he hadn't specifically targeted it and I think if you if you listen to what managers say about discipline and fouls and trying to avoid bookings there's no real strategy to it and there's no exact science because things happen in games Bielsa used to say this a lot actually that what happens in a game just develops as as things occur and you can't dictate that sort of thing you can't really dictate mistimed tackles it's very hard to say to players I want you to be competitive and I want you to stick a foot in but I don't want you to ever get booked or I want you to to limit your your bookings sometimes it, it runs out of hand and, and I think 
the one that springs to mind is Pontus Janssen, you know, go yellow card after yellow card, particularly in his, um, I think it was his first season at Leeds when he crossed that wonderful threshold that means that you have to go down and speak to the FA and explain why it is that, you know, your, your tally of yellow cards is so bad. I remember as well, we did a column after the um, the Mitrovic ban for, for pushing the referee. We did a column with David Prutton and he was talking about, you know, the time he pushed Alan Wiley and got his, his own long suspension and at the hearing in an attempt to kind of mitigate and show how his behaviour had improved, um, Mick Maguire, who's at the PFA and who was representing him, was saying, here's David's disciplinary record from first season to now. And Prutton said, straight off the back, it was absolutely abysmal. You know, it was just like first season, 15 yellow cards, three reds, you know. And, and he was sitting thinking, as a sliding scale, yes, fine, but actually this seems like a ludicrous argument to be saying he's, he's not a bad lad, you know, this so some players do go too far. I, th- I think, as I say, it's quite a difficult thing to control. But even the red card that they had for Rodon at Hull, you could say there was a, a bit of kind of naivety or in, indiscipline with the second booking, given that he'd already been cautioned. But I don't think anybody thought the first challenge was a yellow card. And it is pretty unusual to get to this point without any suspensions at all. And again, it just spares you from unnecessary disruption that you would otherwise want to avoid. I have noticed there is... Uh... Far less, I don't know if it's just the nature of how football's going, maybe, do you think that there's far less sticking your foot in these days, particularly with Farkas' side? There seems to be a lot more structure and positioning goes into the way that Leeds play. Like, they'll drop back into shape. There was a point at which, in in one of the recent home games, I noticed Glenn Kamara, rather than sticking his foot in for a tackle, just fell back between two players and sort of covered the space, if you like, rather than sticking a boot in. Because if you stick your boot in and miss it, you either get booked or somebody passes past you, don't they? Yeah, definitely. Uh, There are certain things that help. So if you're possession-based, which leads are, and if you tend to dominate possession more than the opposition and have more of the ball, then by definition, you don't stick your foot in as much, do you? You're not asked to defend as much. You're not asked to make as many many challenges. I wonder if you're right, though, about the, the nature of football generally, because I did think, watching the Middlesbrough game, that it jumped out as having a lot of quite big hits in it um, relative to what you normally see in the Championship. And I don't think it is quite as as wild as perhaps it used to be when you would see a, an awful lot of that. I think teams try to play in a different way, but it's a, yeah, it, it's quite notable, I think, and another good aspect of what is a, a good team. And a lack of dissent as well. That's one of the things that always kind of gets your goat when you see players getting themselves booked for silly things, kicking the ball away or back chat or whatever. It just seems to be, there's a real culture of that not happening. And, and it's, I think we've got the best disciplinary record in the EFL, have we now? It's, right? it's very, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. It's right up there at the top which is probably a bit of an extension of Farker himself. He, if you speak to people about what he's like, they'll say that he is very single-minded and kind of forthright and particular in his own way. But he's also quite sort of relaxed and level-headed, I would have said. You don't get a lot of um, kind of impulsiveness from Farker. I mean, it's not as if he hasn't come a crop of yellow cards himself on the touchline. But again, you don't get a lot of that stress from him in the dugout at all, do you? If you watch him during games, he is involved. But he'll spend a lot of them with his hands in his pockets of those black Macs that he loves to wear, black from from head to toe. And I think from time to time, I do think that kind of translates pretty well into a team that fairly calm coach on the touchline can translate into fairly calm team on, on the pitch. It's certainly not a problem Leeds are having discipline this season at all. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. 
You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And to Blackburn then, Phil, I'm just looking through their results. They haven't drawn a game since the 12th of August when they drew 2-2 at Rotherham. They either win or they lose as a rule. And you could pretty much say the same of Leeds this season. We haven't drawn for a fair old while, have we? At the top of the table, there aren't a lot of games getting drawn at all. And actually, there aren't a lot of games getting lost either. I, I, which say, is that why fully, I say that just fully aware that then the, the thought in my head, Rotherham. <laughs> well, the, the, no, the, the, there has been the odd one or two. Um, but we, we wrote, or I wrote at the start of the week about um, the counter-attacking under Farker and why it's so good and, and so effective. And if you look at the numbers, even though Leeds do tend to dominate possession in most of their games. Exceptionally good counter-attacking team. And I think to a degree which has to have been coached. You know, you can see the triggers, you can see what they're doing, you can see how they're spreading out across the pitch deliberately when when they counter. I don't think any of this is being done by chance. It's not always going to work and you're going to you know have situations you don't take advantage of. But they are out in front when it comes to you know stats for... Counter-attacking chances, counter-attacking goals, but also very high on that score is Blackman. And you would have thought that Leicester might have featured there, Ipswich might have featured there, that others might be be similar. But Blackburn do seem to have that about them as well. And I think you could tell what Farker was getting at in his press conference today when he said, you have to be very strong and, and very tight and organised against them because they will, you know, they do play with a lot of intensity and they will try and go through you. And if they do, then you're... Um, you're in trouble. Um, they've got Schmodix up front who's scoring a, a lot of goals. The feeling with Blackburn seems to be that they are very hot and cold, but they definitely have playoff potential and they are actually on the day a pretty good team, pretty dangerous team. But it's going to be another of those kind of weird experiences at Ewood Park where you have 7,000 in one end, which Blackburn seem perfectly happy to do. On these days over in Lancashire, local police obviously have to look after this. So, Rest days get cancelled and, you know, the numbers in attendance go up. But it's not as if this is a one-off. I mean, I can remember 10 years ago, Leeds taking 7,000 over to Blackburn. It happens pretty regularly. Blackburn must just like the income and, and like the money and, and be quite willing to concede the atmosphere, if we're being honest, you know, by, by doing that. So it will be a huge crowd there, which I think will, will make a difference as well. And I think, I think Farker will fancy this one. Just looking at their position in the table, they are currently seventh, so they're just outside the playoffs by a couple of points on the uh, the coattails of of Hull City. They're, yeah, they're quietly quite good, aren't they? But like you say, yeah. you're just looking at it. They they do either win or lose. So they've they've won nine, but they've also lost nine, which is by far and away sort of in the the top throng of teams, the the highest number. This is obviously a crucial period for everybody. It's not as if December and Christmas and everything else doesn't matter to anybody in the championship. But I think when you're in Blackburn's position, i.e., just outside the playoffs. This is the point where you can kind of easily lose touch and you can get into the scenario that Leeds seem to be in perpetually for years of kind of being eight points back and thinking, well, you know, like could happen, but you know, deep down, it's never going to happen because not everybody can lose every week and the table keeps moving. And if you've been, you know, totally frank about it, your own form just isn't good enough and hasn't been. I was asking Farker earlier for a piece where 
publishing, well, it'd be online, I imagine when people listen to this, but um, it's going on Friday morning about the points tallies at the top of the championship, which are from Southampton up. So your top four are just absolutely exceptional. I asked our data guys to have a look back at when it was that it was quite like this, you know, when, when this last happened. You're going back to the 1990s um, for the last time anybody started as well as uh, as Leicester, that's Watford. And the last time anybody in second had as many points as Ipswich after 19 games was, and you have to adjust for three points for a win uh, on this, was 1905. Wow. What were you doing in 1905, Daniel? Probably stressing about Leeds United. Leeds City. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thought, well, do you know the funny thing? Back when it was like this, Ipswich Town were amateur. Leicester City seemed to be going by the name of Leicester Force. Leeds United were Leeds City and Southampton still hadn't been elected to the Football League. So, I mean, it was a totally different era. It was when everybody was, um, everybody's daily excitement was the um, Industrial Revolution, wasn't it? If that's even <laughs> oh, the right year, I don't know. My, my eldest is studying it at the moment. but Big, was, fan, big fan. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, the most boring subject in history, bar, bar none. Well, for um, all the factories, the owners, the... Yeah, just uh, the mills, no, the looms, loved it. You know, when you're like 13, 14, there's no excitement in that, is there? Not a huge, um, not a no, huge amount. No, no, definitely not. So this is this is very, very unusual now. And I am inclined to think, people have said a, a few times that clubs might drop off and yeah, they might and it might level out. Farker tried to make that point earlier as well, that by the time you get to the end of 46 games, you'll see where people are and it might be that the pace they're set and they can't keep up and, and you know they are reeled back in. But I kind of feel that 19 games gone, you, you've got patterns set by that point, haven't you? Yeah. And I think... It's not that Ipswich might not drop back and finish in the playoffs or whatever else, but I think the idea of them falling away, say, and finishing ninth has surely gone. You know, they... Yeah, I mean, for, for that to happen, you're talking about a fairly spectacular drop in form. Aren't yeah. you? There's just no evidence of them being this good up to this point and then that they're just going to go off completely off a cliff. I mean, it does happen. I mean, Leeds, for example, have tried it before when we were trying to get promoted out of, out of League One, but there's no sign of it. You can't take it for granted, can you? I think, I guess what you're looking at is that they regress slightly to the mean and we continue our good form and just we just chip away at that, that points total. I'm just looking at the fixtures, actually. We've got Leicester, Plymouth, uh, Borough against Ipswich. That's the one that intrigues me. That's the one where you could imagine somebody dropping points, most of all. And Watford against Southampton. A, f- a few things are going on here and I think what's jumping out to me more than anything is the consistency of the the results generally. The, the 12 defeats among the top four and five of them have been in games where two of the top four have, have played each other. But... If this carries on, you're going to have a scenario where your teams who are going for the, the playoffs and, and are kind of outside them or just on the edges of them might end up with only two positions to play for. I know a, a figure at one club who, who we'd spoken to had said it becomes, when it comes around to January and the idea of are you going to spend any more and are you going to you know have a little go at it to try and get in the playoffs, it feels like buying a lottery ticket because the odds actually are, are so small for anybody who isn't in the top four. I think below them, you've got teams who might see their seasons peter out you know, sooner than expected, again, if, if this continues. But also, to look at the top four, you have the potential for sides within that, you know, any of them, to have exceptionally good seasons, which in a standard year would get you into an automatic promotion place and ends up with the playoffs or, you know, and in the end, nothing because of the way the, the playoffs work. Um, so it's, Farker said today, it's the most competitive division he can remember, certainly, remember in the in the last decade and he said it is making it making it really difficult but I do think it's significant that in the top four you have the three relegated sides I mean that cannot be by chance yeah and, and a good side that's having an exceptional run and continuing its momentum from promotion as well yeah and kept the squad together and have recruited pretty cleverly 
and seem to to have things in order. They're the outlier in the sense that they don't have parachute payments, Ipswich, um, and you know don't haven't gone into the league with some Premier League footballers in the way that, that the three other clubs have. But it just makes you wonder whether, as time goes on, this is going to be a bigger and bigger challenge for the Championship. And this is why the, there is this constant demand to maintain and enforce profit and sustainability because it is one of the few ways of almost levelling the playing field or, or attempting to against sides who do come down with far bigger budgets and better players. I mean, I don't think, like Farker said, it's not as if that's a guarantee that you're going to go back up. But I do think it helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you can see the the leagues within the leagues within the leagues starting to it's stratifying yeah. even more, isn't it? Now, as like you said, the, the money that comes down from the Premier League, even though we were fairly terrible last year, we've found it quite easy-ish to put together a team that's competing right at the top end. It's such a Leeds thing to do as well. Like we've crossed the Rubicon now of two points per game. Yeah, um, to go beyond that on Saturday, if we were to win and still not find ourselves in the in the top three. Well, Leicester, uh, sorry, in the top two, rather. Leicester are on for 111 points at the moment. And again, I, I get that it's early in the season, but it's it's quite advanced, the fixture list. You know, we're not far off halfway, and by the end of next week, we'll be just about just about there. I think Ipswich at the moment are on for 108. You've got Leeds heading for 92, Southampton the, the, heading for 90. The daft thing is, Phil, we would be up there, I reckon, with them, with those two, had we had a better start to the season, had we not had the turmoil to deal with due to the takeover. Very possibly. Yeah. Very possibly. Yeah, I said a few times that a lot of the teams in this division seem much of a muchness and I kind of stand by that. I don't think you watch many and, and look through the 11 and see kind of startling talent there or players who you think look out for them because like Bellingham at, at Birmingham, they're going to be at Real Madrid in you know five or five or six years. But I do think it's developing into a really, really good league. And if, if you know, by chance or, or by poor on the form, Leicester and Ipswich were to get slightly reeled in by Leeds or uh, Leeds and Southampton that could be a hell of a fight at that end of the table um, the other side in New Year could, yeah, be, could yeah. be fantastic I was going to say echoes of um, of Sheffield United reeling in us and Norwich when um, when we managed to choke and end up in the playoffs <laughs> but it, it'd be nice to, to hunt the other team down rather than being the one where you feel that gap just shortening and shortening and shortening yeah some good times at Blackburn maybe it's the last time we went there the Calvin free kick during Covid yes yeah I believe so yeah, well, a crack at that as well. Yeah. He, I remember speaking to him about that. We did a feature with him where we went through lots of different clips of him and he talked about his game, how he plays, what he does, how he's developed and, and how Bielsa was coaching him. And he was talking about free kicks and corners and saying quite openly, people are probably expecting that to go into the crowd because it's what, what I usually <laughs> do with them. And, you know, <laughs> Connor's hitting the, the first man. But it feels like goals in this game, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, given the way that we like to score them, and they do concede quite a few. They've got quite a high uh, goals against tally. They've conceded 31. So they've scored 32, which is a couple fewer than ours, but they've conceded 31. So they've got a positive goal difference as one, so, of one. Sorry. So, um, yeah, it could be. Yeah, they've had, they've had a few um, eyebrow-raising results. I looked at them um, before, so let me just pull those back up. But yeah, I, I, I was saying before, they don't tend to draw. We tend not to draw. There'll be goals in this. So I look forward to the nil-nil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, they, they have a manager seven a touchline ban they have quite a lot of injuries over there as well but a few people have said to me about them they are they are a bit weird you know they they got done at Sheffield Wednesday earlier in the week and they had a, a real real lack of kind of championship experience on the bench for that game which obviously compromises you as a coach but they have had some like you say some very very good results what encourages me here just looking at the, some of the specifics is they faced Ipswich who put four past them, albeit it was 4-3. 
Leicester went there and put four past them as well. So you would hope on the balance of probabilities and what the evidence suggests that we could go there and um, stick some goals on the ball potentially, as you say. Um, it's just about keeping it tight at the other end. We were saying actually on the, on the weekly show this week, I just remarked in passing that how good Joe Roden has been this season. And mm. I just think it's just been excellent. Yeah. I just, I've re- I just really enjoying Leeds United this year. Just another really good signing. And it's it's funny because the, the counter-attacking is really pronounced and, and as I say, I think is really quite obviously coached. But at the same time, the players who they've signed, the players who they've gone for, particularly in the key positions, you know, the, the key build-up areas of the centre of defence and um, the centre of midfield, Ampadu, Rodon, Kamara and others, very, very comfortable on the ball, very comfortable in possession. And I think in Rodon, they found a, a genuine ball-playing centre-back who is at a, a really high level in this division. Whether or not Rodon is going to prove to be a, you know, a full-blown Premier League centre back, we'll, we'll see in time. And I think I think people would say that there's still some some doubt about that. But he has been he has been terrific. He's also stayed fit and available more often than not. I know Strike had the hernia operation, but was back really quickly. So that partnership's been able to to develop. And I don't I don't really look at any position in the team and feel and it, you know this happens quite often over the years where you have players picked in, in areas where you're not quite sure why it is that they're getting the nod and it doesn't seem to be quite working but coach will persist with it I'm not really looking at anybody in Farkas lineup and thinking it's a peculiar decision to, to have them there I, I think Spence at right back is going to be the one eventually isn't it that surely at some point that has to pay off and work for Leeds there's no problem with Gray there as far as I'm concerned but you know Spence is the right back and, and you would think that that will, that will happen which obviously gives Parker a decision to make in the centre. Does he stick with Ampadu and Kamara? Does he get Gray back in there? But, you know, it, it's not, none of it's problematic. And none of it feels like you're kind of tying things together with elastic bands because you don't have better options. Yeah, and um, it's the nice problem to have, isn't it? If you've got Archie, you can slot inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm mindful as well of what happened to Sam Byron when he played that full season under Warnock in that he ended up almost put well, perpetually injured, didn't he? And he's still kind of having to be kid-gloved through his career at this stage, uh, much later on his, in his career, due to his um, ongoing injury problems throughout his career. So you don't want to burn him out. As much as it is fun to watch him, you just got to be careful with him as well, haven't you? I think the thing for Gray is that th- there will come a time where he'll want to be playing in the centre of midfield, you know, and, and he can clearly do a pretty good job at right-back, sometimes an excellent job at right-back. And I thought it was one of the, the real plus points of the Middlesbrough game was him starting poorly um, and getting done for the first goal. And I think whoever you're blaming for that goal, it probably falls more on Gray than it does on on Melly. I think he would accept that himself. But recovered really well and was a really positive influence after that and a big reason why why Leeds were able to to get a win from from that game. But for him to develop as he wants to develop, um, he will have to start getting more minutes in in the centre and midfield. And I don't think this season, given that it's his first, you know, I know he was on the bench on the Bielsa, but his first as a sort of regular player. I don't think he would be looking for a vast number of... I think he'd want to play a lot. And, you know, kids being kids as they are, we'd want to play as much as he possibly can. But I think he'll understand that there would be benefit for him either way of, you know, just getting a decent number of games under his belt. But as I say, you know, he is a central midfielder and, and that will be longer term what he's looking for. Uh, before I ask you for a one to watch and we wrap this show up, the kit hoodoo, right? <laughs> so the, situa- the situation with the kits, we haven't lost yet in the all-white kit for this season. Can I just jump in here and say, I've been waiting for them to win in their away kit so I can tweet and say something like, Dan Moylan will be along shortly to tell you 
that this is the first win in a wee kit since Agincourt. Well, yeah, mm. it is. Yeah, it's yeah. the and not we haven't won in a non-white kit since Brentford when we stayed up, and we haven't won in the away kit since Burnley, which would be the season before. Is that correct? So I was just going to say we know these things. They don't in any sort of meaningful sense, mean anything. There is no genuine significance there. Well, but, especially because the kits change, you know. Yeah, but people start to, they start to hang on these things. It's the same reason why people put their lucky socks on or have a match day routine. And when think, you, when yeah. you say people. Do I mean me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. People do like, you, you always kind of think, is it me that's done this? Is it because I changed my routine? Did I park in a different spot or, you know, walk a different way to the ground? Whatever it may be. People have these little superstitions. But we know that they're rooted in kind of silliness and paranoia. No, no, no. I'm, I, mean, I, was, I was actually just going to ask, the question I was going to follow it with was, does stuff like this play like on the players' minds? Do, well, do they start to think of I, unlucky kits or boots or things like that? I'm being unfair to you actually, because if you go back to the 16-17 season, you remember Leeds had their yellow kit. Um, it was the season where Monk was was manager. And if you look at the games, they, they lost in that kit a few times. They got beaten at... I, I believe they got beaten at Brighton. Did Phillips get sent off for handball on the line? It might have been that game. And from that point onwards, if you look at photos from every game where they wore away kit, it's a weird and wonderful match of all sorts. And basically, Monk was superstitious about that kit in the end and decided that they weren't going to wear... I can't remember if it was all yellow now, but you will find in games where there was absolutely no need, really odd you know, combinations of white socks, blue shorts, yellow shirt, um, whatever it was. And that was that was deliberate, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and I mean, Grayson used to be famous. I mean, obviously, Reavy was a massively superstitious guy. But Grayson was as well. You know, things like lucky pens and this, that and the other. Um, I'm not a believer in superstition. I've never been superstitious. No, it's absolute load of bollocks. Although you did jinxes from the playoffs that time, didn't you? Playoffs were sewn up, so... As I always say to people, Leeds didn't make the playoffs because one of my tweets headed in a mark in the back post. Like, I don't, well, you, you say that. I don't that. believe in it. But having said that, it's not to say I'm right. Well, this is the thing. Merely a theory. Like, but people will have a got me because I've got, I've got hope and a feeling my majority opinion leans, to, leads, leans towards Leeds winning this. And I know that we're going to be in the rhubarb and custard kit. Is, is the kit putting you off? But people will, no, people will genuinely watch this or listen to this and say, what have you said that for? But that's just how I feel, because we should do, because we're we're right up at the top of the league. We're one of the best sides in the division. We've got loads of goals in us. It's only a kit. And, probably, and, I'm, probably, and I'm right to feel optimistic. It probably has to be the pink kit, I think. I well, yeah, we can't yeah, wait. I don't see what else it could be. So yeah. um, perhaps this is this is the day. And as I say, you can get your Agincourt tweet, which must be must have been in your drafts for I don't really bother, well bother with it anymore. It's Twitter. Become, ah, it's a cesspit, isn't it? Yeah, one to watch. The kit. Mm, well, <laughs> well, I suppose it is the kit, really, isn't it's it? Not, I was, you, you, you see, you're now uh, indulging uh, me in it, Phil, so don't. Yeah, I know, you've got my head like you're four non-blondes. Yeah, um, it's, I, I was going to say from an opposition point of view, look out for Schmodick's up front because he has scored a lot of goals this season and is actually a really, really good player, really talented player. But yeah, let's make it the kit. Can we finally, 7,000 there, can we finally put this to bed? And look, I've will, got you, will you, yeah. I've got me a little... Drink fate. Membership well, drinks older. If they do win at Ewood Park, will you let it go? What, the kit? Yeah. Well, yeah, because like any who do, once you've put it to bed, then you can just move on from mm. it, don't you? And, and I do feel, it genuinely does feel like it's looming a bit now because it's so long yeah. since we won in a But as I say, kit. to be fair to you, this was an actual thing at Leeds, 16, 17. Right. As I say, look at the photos, the, the sort of weird mixes of... So not me, it was Gary Monk, fine. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see them, Phil. We'll get back together after the weekend, shall we, and, uh, and assess how the, Absolutely. Kit, how the kit got on. We'll catch you uh, on Monday. We'll see you soon. 
The Square Ball Podcast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.